written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Here now the written word of the living God. Friends, I invite you, if you are able, please stand with me. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Please pray with me. Our God and Heavenly Father, we recognize that... um, This is not Paul's best effort on paper. This is the very word of the living God, inspired by your Holy Spirit. It is exactly what you intended us to know about yourself and about salvation. And Lord, as we study this text today, I pray that you would remove distractions from our minds and our hearts. Lord, there are Uh, You know, if we were to pass around maybe a list today of the things on our hearts and minds, that would be so great. And we don't want to say we'll lay them at the door to pick them up when we walk out of here. We we lay those at the feet of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, that uh, you would open our hearts and minds to receive the word this day in an undistracted way. Teach us, Lord, about your love, your comfort, your grace towards us. May we grow in our relationship with you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Well, friends, last week we talked about the order of salvation or this great golden chain of salvation. Do you remember this chain? If you weren't here last week, we'll do a little review so you can catch up. We said that as we study the Bible that God teaches us that he takes the work that Jesus Christ accomplished for you and for me, and he applies it to our lives in a very specific order. Do you remember the order of salvation, the ordo salutis? We'll put it on the screen as a review, but we'll go through the chain. That God has first predestined or chosen us in Christ. He has effectually called us unto himself and then regenerated us by making us alive in Christ. He gives us faith and repentance that we might be justified. He adopts us into his family. He continues to sanctify us or grow us in grace. We persevere therein until the end by his grace. And then, of course, Christ comes back to get us and we're glorified with him in glorification. This great chain of God's salvation. And dear friend, we were reminded last week that, you know, if you have one part, you have them all. I mean, if I grab the third link and pulled it over here, they all go, don't they? Grab this link and go, they all, they all go together. So if you have them one, have one, you have them all. But even maybe more importantly for us today, for our comfort, for our assurance is this, is that what God starts, he completes. What God starts, he completes. Paul says it this way. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So dear friend, as we take the next step in this text, as we look at 16 and 17 today, today this text answers this question. 
What are the results of this great chain of salvation in our lives? In other words, what blessings, what benefits pour out from being united to Christ through this golden chain that affects your life now and your life to come? Think about that. What are the benefits, the privileges of being connected to Christ? Friends, today's text is called a benediction. This is a benediction. At the, every, at the end of every service, we give a benediction. I'll give one later today, Lord willing. What is a benediction? Well, it's simply a blessing. And in this specific case, God wants to pour out his blessings upon his people. So that's what we're talking about today, the blessings. What are the blessings that you have in this life and the life to come from being united to this great chain of salvation. Dear friend, the Apostle Paul gives us four specific blessings in this text today. Look at them with me. If you go through the verses, just scan those two verses. I want you to see the first blessing that comes to believers is the assurance of God's love. Secondly, what the Bible calls eternal comfort. Thirdly, good hope. And then fourth and finally, the title of this sermon, that both you and I can have a comforted and an established heart. Friends, if you're here today, and maybe you're somewhat discouraged, maybe you're somewhat downtrodden, you, you're a believer, you know Jesus, but you were going, undergoing so much maybe discouragement. I, I've talked to a lot of you throughout these last few weeks in the summer. A lot of even Christians are discouraged and downtrodden right now for what's going on in the world. Friend, if that is you today, I want you to hear what God says in this text. Because as God pours out his benediction upon you, his blessings upon you, he takes your downtrodden face and he lifts your chin. I want you to know that through this text, Christ comes to you and gives you hope and what he calls eternal comfort. And not only that, but he establishes you. He grounds you so much in your faith so that as you walk in work and word, as this text says, you do it in an established, God-honoring way. Friend, this whole sermon is about encouragement and comfort to God's people. See the benediction. See the blessings that God is pouring out upon you from being united to this great chain of salvation. Let's look at that first one together. The Bible says today the first benefit that you and I have from being united to the Lord Jesus Christ in this golden chain is the assurance of God's love. Look at the text, verse 16. Now... May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who what? Who loved us. Who loved us. You know, sometimes, friends, when you're in church a long time, you might read a a passage like that, and it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. You hear some of this all the time. But I want you to stop and just focus on that benediction, on that blessing that you and I have in Christ, the fact that God loves us. Let me ask you this question. Does the truth 
that God loves you? Does that shape your thinking about God? Does that shape your thinking about living in a fallen world? It should. It should. And from Paul's discussion here, not only in chapter 2, but even reaching back to chapter 1, let's see how that applies. You know, as, as we pick up this, this golden chain, let's walk through this chain as the text last week did and look and see how this teaches us how much God loves us. Let's start with the first one. Because this first one says that we're chosen in Christ. We'll put the verse on the screen that we looked at last week. This is Ephesians chapter 1, 4 and 5. Look at it. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In what? In love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Friends, this text teaches us that it was in love that God chose us. In love that he predestined us. How how would this apply? We mentioned it last week. When did God first love you? Was it when he brought you to faith in Christ? No. Was it when he created you, when you were born? No, it was way before that. The Bible says before the very foundation of the world. His people, his sheep, his flock, they were on his mind. And he chose to love you way back before the foundation of the world when he chose you in Christ, dear friend. And then the Bible says that God takes that great plan of choosing and predestining his people and God starts to work out that plan. And he does it by sending his only begotten son. You see, Jesus Christ, who's fully God, stepped out of glory, and he came all the way down to this earth. He wrapped himself in our humanity without ceasing to be God. And because he loved you and he loved me, Jesus became exactly who we are, our flesh, our bones. He grieved, he hungered, he thirsted. He knew what it was like to be betrayed. Because he wanted to fully love you, fully identify with you. He was tempted just as we are yet without sin. And then Christ set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He stood before Pontius Pilate. He was scourged. They put the crown of thorns on his head. And the Son of God went to the cross. And we see this verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son and the bible says he was buried but he rose again the third day he ascended up into heaven he sat down at the right hand of God and then he sent his holy spirit into this world to take everything that Jesus had just accomplished and apply it to our lives. And this is where we get to the second link. You see, after God has chosen us in Christ and accomplished our salvation, he sends his Holy Spirit to call you to faith in Jesus Christ. And he does that through this third link by regenerating you. Regeneration means to make alive. It doesn't mean to get well or to take a pill or to go from sickness to being better. It means from going from death to life. 
You see, God loves you so much that he sent his spirit not to help you get saved, but to enable you to get saved, to make you alive. As, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, in love, God raised us to life. He regenerated us from spiritual death to spiritual life. How much does God love you? He saw you in your worst condition of spiritual death, and he breathed the very life, the breath of God into you, that you might be regenerated. And then, dear friend, he chose you, he called you, he regenerated you. He gave you faith to believe. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, It is by grace we've been saved through faith. This not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. That God actually gives you the faith to embrace Jesus Christ. How? Or so, so that what happens? So that you might be justified. God loves you through justification. We learned this last week. In justification, Jesus takes all the bad stuff. Every sin that you've committed and I've committed has been imputed to him. And he takes his righteousness, what he merited, not what you and I merited, what he merited, and he imputes it back to us. He gives us this gift of his righteousness. Dear friend, that's love. And then the next link, dear friend, is adoption. The text we read just a moment ago that we put on the screen says that we are predestined to be adopted as a child of God. I want you to think about this. What better description of love could God give us than to say, I've adopted you into my family. So many people in this congregation have experienced adoption here on this earth. Maybe you've adopted a child. Maybe you've been adopted. But adoption teaches us that you set your love and affection on someone who's done nothing to deserve it. You travel a long way to get them. You spend a lot of money. It's costly to adopt. Yet your love is poured out on that person. And you take that person and you bring them back. And you put them in your family. They bear your name. You give them all the rights and privileges of being part of your family. That's love. And God says that's the picture of what God does for us in Christ. That's how God loves us through adoption. And then not only does God adopt us, but he sanctifies us. That means he grows us in his grace. He doesn't just say, I'm going to save you from your sin and just leave you sitting on the sideline. He says, no, I'm going to walk with you through life. You can pray to me. I'll hear your prayers. You can Hear from me. You can read my word. This is a relationship. I'm going to invest in you, God says. This is the benefit of love. And God says that through that, he'll give us perseverance. One of my favorite passages, we'll put it up on the screen. You've heard me preach on this before. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. Underline that word never. They will never perish. Again, what God starts, he completes, friend. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You know what that, that's God saying to us? You can't get lost. Once you're in the hand of God, you can't get lost. 
He has secured you in his love, dear friend. And that brings us to the final link of the chain. One day he's going to glorify us. That his love won't forget us. Because God says in his word, Jesus says, Hey, in my father's house are many mansions. And I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, what am I going to do? I'm going to come again. So that where I am, you may be also. What kind of love is that? It's a love that doesn't forget. God will never, ever, ever forget you. So walk with me through this. God loved you by choosing you even before you were created. He loved you by calling you through his Holy Spirit. And he did that in a way that raised you from death to life. Your regeneration. He gave you a gift called faith that you might embrace him as Savior and Lord. He then justified you, dear friend. He took all the bad and he imputed to you all the righteousness. It's not like we had to go out and earn it. He earned it for us and imputed it to us. And then he says, I'm bringing you so close to me that I'm adopting you into my family. You bear my name, Christian. And I'm going to take you by the hand and walk through this life with you, sanctifying you by my grace. And you're going to persevere. You can't get lost. You're in my hand. I'm never going to let you go. And one day, you can be assured by my love, I'm not going to forget about you. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me because where I am, you are going to be also. Friend, God loves you. God loves you. And that is the blessing, the benediction that is poured out from this great chain of salvation. But dear friend, I want you to know that this love that we benefit from, from God, it leads us to the second point. The Bible calls it eternal comfort. Look at the text. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us what? Eternal comfort. This doesn't mean that life is trouble free. It doesn't. We've said it many times from this pulpit. Jesus did not come to take the trouble out of life. Jesus came into a world and says, when you have trouble, you can take heart because I've overcome this world. That's what Jesus says. And in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your suffering, you can have what the Bible says is comfort, eternal comfort. Friends, I've heard from many of you that say, Pastor Adam, I, I'm distraught right now. I can't even turn the TV on. I can't even watch the local news. I'm so anxious right now with everything going on in the world. Friend, hear what the Bible says. That the omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient God, since he loves you, and since you were united to this chain of salvation, that should bring all of us comfort, even in a world that's filled with trouble. You know, comfort here, some people say, does it have the idea of sympathy or encouragement? Which one is it? If we study Thessalonians, it's more of the idea of encouragement. As we said, 1 Thessalonians was the book of encouragement. Paul here in this benediction is striving to encourage believers. So, dear friend, how can you and I have encouragement or comfort from what Christ has done? Think through this with me. 
Friend, you can be encouraged and comforted to know that your sins are forgiven, no matter what. They've been removed as far as the east is from the west, says the word of God. You can be comforted and encouraged that you know that you're accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus does not say to you, hey, here's a list. Go out and you do this list. Check off every one of these things. And when you come back and earn my love, my grace, that, 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 that'll be the time you can be comforted and encouraged. God doesn't say that. God says, I've saved you. I've chosen you. I've regenerated you. Let me tell you a story. About 10 years ago, I had a conversation with a lady who grew up in the church. She grew up in the church, and she had just experienced a, 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 a tragedy in her life. Her, her niece had died, and it brought up all these questions about her salvation, about uh, what um, end times, what's going to happen next even for her. And I sat down with her and talked for about two or three hours. And I'm telling you, she grew up in the church. But never once has she heard the doctrines of grace. And I opened up the word of God to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which again say, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we talked about what Jesus did for her on the cross. We talked about what Jesus accomplished. We talked about Jesus' righteousness. We talked about our sin. And that there's no way that we can get to God on our own because of our sin, but we need to get come through to cut to God from what Christ has done for us. And after three hours, she looked at me and she said, Adam, what you're saying to me sounds so simple. Why is that? And I looked at her, her name was her name was Donna. And I looked at her and I said, Donna, it's because your whole life you've been told. That you have to do, do, do to be saved. And Christ is telling you, he has done, done, done the work for you to be saved. She'd never heard about grace. Ever. Tragic. Tragic. She grew up in the church and never heard about grace. Dear friend, you can have comfort. You can have encouragement. Not because of the list that you check off. I've done this. I've done that. Oh, no. You can have eternal, eternal comfort because you recognize what Christ has done for you and that God has applied that to your life by grace through faith. Praise God. That gets this, this preacher excited, talking about the grace of God. I know it. I hope it does for you too. Friend, you can be encouraged and comforted today because now you know what God starts he's going to complete. You can be encouraged and comforted today because in a world that has sickness in it, and where people die, where our bodies like tents collapse, our bodies like vessels of clay crack and break, that the moment the tent collapses, the moment the vessel cracks and breaks, that we will be ushered into the presence of God, we will be at home with the Lord. In this sanctuary yesterday, what a, what a wonderful time we had. Our dear brother John Kyle, who was in his 90s, lived such a God-honoring life, told so many people about Christ, and, and God took him home a few days ago, dear friend. He lived longer than most people live, but guess what? He was called home. His tent collapsed. His vessel broke. 
And at the moment that happened, he wasn't full of anxiety or fear or doubt or wondering because he rested in God's promise that he was belonged to Jesus Christ. And the moment he closed his eyes here on earth, he opened them in the presence of his Savior. The encouraging word for the believer is this, that in life, right now, it's a good life because we know Christ. But the Bible says for the believer, your life goes from good to better when you die. And then it goes from better to best when Jesus comes back. Let me tell you something. That's not something an unbeliever can say. They can't have that eternal comfort, that eternal encouragement, because they're not united to Christ. In fact, for the unbeliever, right now is the best life they'll ever have. Judgment Day will be the worst day in the world for the unbeliever. But Judgment Day will be the most wonderful day possible for the believer. Because that's when the Good Shepherd takes his sheep and says, come, come. Come to the place that I've prepared for you. Oh, dear friend, we find eternal encouragement in Christ's love. Romans says it this way. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I want you to see what the Bible's doing here. Because it talks about God's love. It talks about eternal comfort. And then going to this next point, it talks about hope. You see, anytime you read about hope in the New Testament, it's always connected to something that's in the future. As we said last week... God in Christianity gives us not only hope now, but there is a not yet aspect. You see, hope is always tied to the second coming of Christ. The books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians teach us so much about that second coming. Think through this with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 describes the descent of the Son of God, the, the shout of the archangel, the trumpet of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to come bringing judgment upon those who don't know him, but he's also coming what? To grant relief to those who do know him. What is your hope, dear friend? You see, the benefits of this benediction, they don't just apply to your life right now. They apply to the life that is to come. Here's what one commentator said about this. He said, This benediction gives blessings that not only outlast the afflictions of this age, but the age to come. That means, believer, you can be not only optimistic about the future, but you can know for sure that the best is yet to come for believers. The best is yet to come. But secondly, I also want you to know that in the Bible, the word hope is tied to the Bible itself. Did you know that? Let's look at a slide. This is Romans 15, verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have what? Hope. 
through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If you have your Bible still open to this text, jump back with me to verse 15. A verse we finished with last week, it says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by the spoken word or by our letter. He's talking about the Bible itself, the letter, the biblical letter that he wrote. Hold on to this word as your hope. Let me tell you something. This is a world that is filled with lies. And in the midst of this world, God has given us truth in his word, in a world that's filled with lies. And God says that you should hope in his word. And that brings us to our final point. Why? So that right now your heart can be comforted and established. Look at the last phrase of verse 17. Comfort and comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. We've talked about the word comfort a lot. Let's talk about the second word, established. You can have hope because you're established. Established has the idea of being rooted, grounded. A tree that's planted by a stream of water is a tree that is rooted and grounded. When I say a stream planted by the water, what do you think of in the Bible? Psalm 1, let's look at it, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is where? It's in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. The Bible is teaching us that the only way to be established in the faith is being grounded in the Word of God. To be grounded in the Word of God. Our hope is in not what we think or what we say. Our hope, our truth, the way we need to live, dear friend, it's found in the Word of God. And knowing His Word, you, friend, in times of anxiety, in times of trouble, in times of despair, in times of being downtrodden, you can then live in a God-honoring way, in an established way, a rooted way, as you go out into this world in work and word. That's what this text says. So my question to you is, how established are you? And maybe the question behind that is, how much is the word of God a part of your life, are you grounded in the truth of Scripture? Because the Scripture teaches us of itself that's what we need to be grounded, established in our faith, in work, and in word. And isn't it amazing that God gave us not one but 66 books? He says, here you go. This is my gift to you. Get in it, read it, study it, so that you don't live... It's kind of running around, being tossed to and fro. You can be established like this tree, well-grounded in your faith. So, dear friend, what, what can you take away from this text today? I hope many things. This is a benediction. This is a blessing. What blessings does God want to pour out on you even today? I hope that you 
can ponder today the love of God. How much he has loved you, sought you out in this great chain of salvation. I pray that you can have God's comfort through the encouragement of knowing what he has done for you. Not a list of what you do for him to gain your salvation but what he's done for you to offer you salvation through grace, that you can know that you have hope not only right now, but in the life that is to come. And while you walk through this life right now, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to be downtrodden. You can be established, firmly rooted, because you've got God's word in your life that is a lamp unto your feet, that is a light and to your path. Dear friend, what blessings we have in Christ. Pray with me, please.